Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. This is my podcast and it's mostly for the parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia, but it's also for anyone else who's interested. Today I want to start talking about personalised oncology. Personalised oncology. Sometimes they call it precision oncology. I think that might be what President Obama calls it, precision oncology. Anyway, personalised oncology, personalised medicine. And you'll hear this uh, term used a bit. It gets thrown around a bit. It's very much in the media and it's in the medical research and literature. And, yeah, you'll hear it talked about. And it is a pretty exciting area. And, And today I just want to start a series of episodes where I try to explain what it's all about. But I'll start with my sort of quick definition of what I consider personalized oncology. Well, I basically think of it as analysing a patient's tumour to an incredible level to find out everything you can about it and then hopefully find something you can do to treat it. So analyse it to some amazing level, looking at all sorts of little tiny details in it and try to find some sort of option for how best to treat it. That's what I call personalised oncology. And the reason we're in this situation where we're now talking about personalised oncology is basically because of two things, if you ask me. One is we've had this incredible revolution in science over the last few decades where we're now able to analyse the DNA and the RNA and the proteins and the everything about tumours at an incredible level. We now have this amazing technology that gives us this capacity to analyse tumours in enormous detail and to do it at a price that's manageable. The second thing is that we've got all these new incredible drugs out there that are oftentimes very much targeted at one particular abnormality in a tumour. So unlike the old drugs that would just kill anything that was a dividing cell, for instance, you know, there are drugs that will only attack a cell if it's got a particular abnormality in the DNA or something like that. So now we have these two things coming together, this incredible ability to analyse tumours, plus a whole bunch of new drugs out there that allow us to act on what we find when we analyse the tumours. And so that's why we end up with this thing called personalised oncology all of a sudden. But it's going to make a bit more sense if I go back in history a bit and explain uh, where we've come from, okay? Because, you know, in a lot of ways, we've been doing personalised oncology for decades, We just weren't able to do it in the same sort of level that we are now. Let's think about this. If you go back to ancient Rome or Greece or wherever Hippocrates lived, you know, he was that doctor that designed the Hippocratic Oath and all that, you know, they probably talked about tumours as though they were all the same, right? Tumor, that was it. A tumour of uh, the leg or the lung or the stomach or the brain or anything. They probably all thought of them all as just the same thing. Okay, the centuries went by and then people started to realise that leg cancers were different to stomach cancers and so on. But still there was probably a time there where leg cancers were called leg cancers and stomach cancers were called stomach cancers. Okay, more centuries go by and then we start to look at leg cancers, for instance, and now we start to distinguish between the ones in the bone and the ones in the muscle and the ones in the fat. 
And then we start to divide the ones in the bone into different types of tumours of the bone. We have Ewing sarcoma and osteogenic sarcoma. Then we divide the osteogenic sarcomas into five or six different types of osteogenic sarcoma. And on it goes. So through the history of cancer medicine, we've been progressively able to classify tumours into different types and then into different subtypes. And very often, whatever we found had some sort of meaning for us in terms of how best to treat it. You know, so with bone tumours, we worked out that osteogenic sarcomas were better if you treated them with one set of drugs and Ewing sarcomas were better with a different set of drugs. Or let's look at, say, leukaemia. Once upon a time, leukaemia was leukaemia. Then people worked out that you could divide it into myeloid leukaemia and lymphoid leukaemia. And so we'd use different drugs for those too. Then with lymphoid leukaemia, we progressively worked out that there was B-cell ones and T-cell ones. And then we divided the B-cell ones into about seven different forms of B-cell ones. And most recently, we're dividing them into about 17 different forms. So there's about 17 different subtypes of acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. And the treatment that you use for one is not the same treatment that you use for another. So, you know, over the centuries and over the recent decades, we've been doing personalised oncology, if you like. We've been looking at each patient's disease, we've been analysing it to the best of our abilities, and where it influenced what treatment you chose, well, you used the results and chose the treatment that seemed to be the best one for that particular subtype of disease. So like I say, we've been doing personalised oncology for years, for decades, If a child is diagnosed with neuroblastoma these days, well, we don't just say, well, it's neuroblastoma, right? We look at how old is the child. That influences everything. We look at whether the tumour is localised or whether it's spread. We do all sorts of DNA tests on it. We look for the NMYC gene. If we find extra copies of the NMYC gene, we know it needs stronger treatment often. Then we look at all sorts of other chromosome tests, and these can make it a more favourable form of neuroblastoma, or a less favourable form of neuroblastoma. So every patient for some years has been having their tumour analysed in great detail to the best of our abilities and according to the available science and the available technologies, and we've been using those results to work out the best way to treat the disease. And sometimes the results made us give stronger treatment, and sometimes they made us give less strong treatment. They made us realise that the tumour was a more favourable form of cancer and that we wouldn't need to treat it with as strong treatment. The other thing we've been personalising, of course, is not just in looking at the tumour or the leukaemia, but looking at the child. You've got to look at the child as well. We know that certain treatments are okay to use in older children, but they're not okay to use in younger children. We know that if the child has a heart problem, you can't use a certain set of drugs. We know that if they've got kidney problems, you have to modify treatment. So it's always been personalised at some level. Analysing the tumour, looking at the patient, coming up with the best way forward. But now things have changed in a sort of quantum leap. You know, there's been this huge, great change in things. And now we are talking more and more about personalised oncology. And one way to think about it is that We are now able to look at each patient's tumour and analyse it in such great detail that we can really see how 
an individual child's tumour really is totally unique, totally different to any other child's tumour. We can analyse it in such great detail that we can show it to be absolutely one of a kind, unique, different to any other child's tumour. Now, whether that helps us to work out how best to treat it is, of course, another question. But certainly we can generate the data and we can be pretty sure that no one tumour is exactly the same as any other tumour. And so that's what we're mostly talking about when we talk about personalised oncology. We're talking about using these modern technologies to analyse a tumour in enormous detail. Now, the level of that detail varies, right? There's all sorts of levels of this personalised oncology, and I'll explain all of that in a moment. But that's what it's about. Analyse the tumour with the modern technologies in huge, great detail, and then look for some sort of way to treat the tumour. So what are these things that we can analyse in a tumour that we couldn't do before? Well, that gets very complicated, and... Eventually, to understand all the terminology and stuff, you have to learn a bit of molecular biology. You have to sort of learn a bit about DNA and RNA and proteins and all of that. And I'll go over that in some subsequent episodes. But in brief, some of the things we can do are as follows. So we can look at the DNA of the tumour. So you know the DNA is the stuff in every cell that codes for all the chemicals that the cell's going to make, right? And we inherit the DNA in our cells from our parents. Well, we know that tumours often have some abnormality in their DNA. So the patient's born with normal DNA, but when the tumour cell becomes a cancer, it develops a mutation in the DNA. Something goes screwy in the DNA. And so now their tumour cell has an abnormality in the DNA that isn't present in the rest of their body. And that's why it becomes malignant. Sometimes. So we can analyse the DNA of the tumour and compare it to the DNA in the patient's normal cells and see, well, what's changed? What is the abnormality in the DNA in the tumour? And we can do this at all different levels of complexity. For instance, there are certain panels of DNA genes that we can go and look for. Uh, For instance, there's a panel that looks at about 300 different DNA genes and it looks at the sequence, the, the makeup of those genes, looking for mutation in the genes. And those genes have been selected to be in the panel because they've been shown to be mutated in previous cancers and oftentimes because there's some particular drug that you might use if you find a particular abnormality. So you can use one of those panels, you know, of 300 or so genes. You can look at a larger panel, if you like. There's panels of genes that you can custom make depending on what sort of cancer you're looking at. You can look at all sorts of genes. You can look at thousands of genes if you want. In fact, you can take it to a whole next level and look at something called the whole exome or the whole genome, whole genome sequencing, right? Or look at every single bit of DNA in the tumour cells, analyse them all, sequence them all, work out their makeup, and see if something's informative. Now, that's a much bigger job, doing the whole genome compared to just doing a panel of 50 or 300 genes. But that's the sort of technology we're talking about. So an example, for instance, would be a particular gene called BRAF, B-R-A-F, BRAF. Now, this is a gene, so it's a little strip of DNA 
in the cells and certain cancers develop a mutation in the BRAF gene, okay? At position 600 of the gene, a V gets changed to an E, all right? It's very technical and complicated. And this is seen in about 50% of melanomas approximately. Well, there's a whole class of drugs out there called BRAF inhibitors. And these drugs work when this BRAF gene has this mutation in it. So if you can find a BRAF gene abnormality in a patient's cancer, well, that tells you, aha, maybe you should use a BRAF inhibitor drug. There's another gene called ALK, A-L-K, the ALK gene. And there's a small proportion of lung cancers that have an abnormality in the ALK gene. And in paediatrics, we see an abnormality in the ALK gene in a certain type of lymphoma and in a certain other tumour, and sometimes in histiocytosis. Well, if you find this ALK gene abnormality, well, maybe you could use one of those special drugs that have been designed just to treat tumours with an abnormality in the ALK gene. And so it goes, and there's these hundreds of drugs out there that have all been tailor-made, you know, really targeted just for a particular DNA abnormality. Well, if we could analyse hundreds of different genes or maybe all the genes in the DNA of the tumour cells, you know, a bit of a fishing expedition, we might find, aha, there's a drug you could use in this particular cancer. And you mightn't have thought of using it in that particular cancer. For instance, that BRAF gene, sure, we see it in melanoma all the time, but what if you found it in some other tumour that wasn't melanoma? Well, it might say, maybe this drug is worth a try. So it can be a bit of a fishing expedition, you know, analyse all the DNA, see what you find, and then see if there's a drug you could use. Now, there's a lot of research has to be done here. I'll talk about that in another episode. The next thing you can analyse is the RNA. So DNA is the little recipe for all the chemicals. Well, for DNA to get used, first DNA makes a copy of itself as RNA, and then the RNA gets converted to proteins. Well, it doesn't get converted. It provides the recipe for proteins. So that's how it works, basically. You have DNA. DNA leads to formation of RNA. RNA leads to formation of proteins. And that's how cells work. Well, you can analyze all the RNA in a tumor. And in this situation, you could look for mutations in the RNA, so abnormality in the RNA. Or you could just look for how much RNA is being made for a given gene. So if you find millions of millions of copies of RNA for a certain chemical when there should only be a few, well that could be a sign that something's screwed up, give you a clue what's going on in this cancer cell, might give you a clue what drug to use. And there's all sorts of technologies out there to measure RNA levels. Again, it's very complicated and technical and maybe I'll get my head around it in another episode, but there's the RNA level. The next thing you can look at is the protein level. So the proteins are another bunch of chemicals. The DNA leads to the RNA. The RNA is used to make the proteins. And the proteins, likewise, you can analyze them. You can look at them all with a microscope. You can have a panel of, you know, 30 different proteins that you look at, or 50 or 80 or however many more. And again, same sort of thing. It's all going to give you a bit of a clue, maybe, hopefully, as to what you might want to try as far as a drug therapy. And then another technology to mention is something called a methylation chip. Okay, a methylation chip 
is a way to look at the DNA, not to look at whether it's got a mutation in the DNA or an abnormality in the DNA, but whether certain DNAs have their on switch locked in the on position or in the off position. It's a complicated thing to explain, but you know, cells have ways to control DNA and whether it's meant to be being used or not, or used a lot or used a little. Well, this methylation chip is a way to look at the on and off switch on all the different DNAs in the cell. Another very complicated technology. But the reason all of this is now something we can consider is all because of the new technologies that have been developed over the last few decades. You remember when they talked about the Human Genome Project you know, some years ago, and all these labs got together and they spent years and years and years to finally work out the DNA sequence of human beings, right? And it took years and years and years and millions and billions of dollars. Well, these days there are technologies out there to sequence the DNA on a patient's tumour for, you know, just a few thousand dollars. There's all sorts of new technologies, and it's because we have all these new technologies that we can now talk about doing all these complicated tests and analyse the DNA and the RNA and the proteins in such incredible detail. Now, it's all very complicated, it's all very expensive, and you get a huge amount of information from one tumour cell, right? You get, you know, gigabytes and gigabytes of data on each patient's tumour, and then you have this whole class of people called bioinformaticians who can somehow put it all together, work out what's meaningful in the results, what's just background noise, etc., that's a whole nother discussion. But that's how we now end up talking about this personalised oncology. And, you know, most of the time when you're talking about personalised oncology these days, that's what people are mostly talking about. They're talking about analysing DNA and RNA and proteins in the tumour cell at some sort of high level to try to work out what to do. Now, there's a few other things that certain groups are adding into the mix and a lot of its research and yet to be worked out as to whether it's a useful thing to do or not. But there's a few other things to mention. So there are some people who are taking tumour cells and testing them against drugs in test tubes, right? So put the tumour cells in some sort of fancy test tube, get the tumour cells to grow, and then add chemotherapy drugs into it to see if they work or not. Now, you might think, well, haven't you been doing that for years, the way you have with antibiotics and bacteria? Well, basically, no. It's not as simple as it sounds. Getting tumour cells to grow in test tubes isn't as straightforward as you might think. But there are new techniques out there. We've all got much better at these sorts of things. It's called tissue culture and cell culture. And there's even robotic systems now where they can take tumour cells and they can analyze them against, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different drugs and try to get a hit and try to get a clue. It sounds like it should be fantastic and wonderful, but really we're still studying this, looking to see what we can learn, looking to see if it's going to be a step forward or not. The other thing you can do is take tumor cells and put them into mice, right? These special mice that will allow human cells to grow. We can put tumor cells in and get the tumours to grow in the mice, and then treat the mice with your drugs, right? Again, this is a very technical thing, and a lot of tumour cells won't engraft well in mice, and it won't work very well. It's not at all straightforward and takes very expert people, but these techniques are being developed, and maybe one day it'll be a routine thing that we're able to do. 
Certainly, I wouldn't say it's routine now, but people are looking at it. So there are a couple of examples of these sort of extra tests that are being added into this personalised oncology thing. But, you know, like I said, the main things really are analysing the DNA, the RNA and the proteins of tumour cells in enormous detail and look to see, well, what can we find out about this tumour and what does it give us in the way of an option for treatment? So that's what personalised oncology is all about in a nutshell. Now, there's a lot of hype out there about it. Uh, There's a lot of people making all sorts of claims. There's all sorts of commercial providers that are selling services. And, you know, a lot of them are very reputable people with very good systems and very good science behind them. But there is a lot of hype as well in some quarters. For most patients with pediatric cancers, we're still going to be treating them according to the protocols that we have and which we know to work. Most of the time, we're not going to go jumping into personalised oncology in children with cancer because most of the time we have treatments that are effective in childhood cancer. So we're hardly going to withhold something that we know that works to use something that we don't know if it works, right? So personalised oncology isn't the usual first step in patients at initial diagnosis with most forms of childhood cancer. But there are some forms of childhood cancer which are really very serious right from the start and unlikely to be cured. And it may be that we start looking at these systems right at the very start in those patients. Anyway, I'll leave it there for now. I hope to do some more episodes to try to explain all of this in a bit more detail and discuss the issues and how we're going to ever do clinical trials in this situation and how you can access personalised oncology if that's what you're interested in. You know, where do you go to get hold of this service, for instance? I hope to talk about all of this in subsequent episodes. But for now, I'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. So hug that child, look after yourself, be nice to the nurses, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.